0: Hello, thank you for clicking this button today. Welcome to our Christ Community Sermon. I'm glad that you're here, and whatever place that you're at today, whatever you're doing, however you're engaging with this, I just pray that you will feel the presence of God right there with you and open your heart to receive uh, what he wants to speak to you today. And I really believe that he does want to meet you right now as we engage in this time together. So Pastor Dudley will be here sharing this message today and KJ and I will be talking with him about uh, this message afterwards. So stick around and enjoy.
1: Hello everyone. My name is Dudley Brown and I'm the pastor of Global uh, Impact here at Christ Community Church. Before I look at John chapter 5, I thought it would share a little bit about the larger context of our church's international mission involvement and what I do. Did you know that our church contributes to the support of 23 different people or families serving in 12 different countries around the world and representing 18 different mission organizations? I have the privilege of getting to interface with all of these amazing families. Many of you know of Josh and Carrie Kreider, who recently moved to Thailand with their four kids. They are an example of one of the families that our church supports. This summer, around 10 college students who attend Christ Community Church are currently on mission trips around the world. In addition to that, last week, a Christ Community Church team of 11 people got back from Peru, where they spent a week sharing the love of Christ with um, uh, lots of Peruvian peoples in a smaller town um, south of Lima. They were together with Juvenal and Cati Bejar, who are our national partners in Peru. Some of them were able even to connect with the compassion children that they have adopted in the community of Colique. By the way, in the digital announcements, you heard about the Peru Story Night on July 10 here at the church at 5.30, you are so welcome to come and hear about what the team experienced there. Kati Behar from Peru will probably be able to join us uh, that evening. Furthermore, our missions focus has grown way beyond the financial, emotional, and prayerful support of full-time American international workers. And so the church felt compelled about 10, uh, 12 years ago to start a nonprofit organization called Network Beyond. Through Network Beyond, we have been able personally to collaborate with um, people working in some creative access places, places where they have never heard the gospel. We have also been able to contribute to the rescue of uh, young girls from human trafficking in Kenya and been able to help initiate the girls rescue center in kenya where my family has the opportunity to sponsor a beautiful young girl named janet perhaps our most well-known work however has been the international training institute an amazing ministry that brings uh some biblical training to pastors and leaders who will simply never get the opportunity to get this kind of training. The ITI began in 2010 with three trainings in two different countries. Since 2010, we have expanded to 26 countries, and nearly 10,000 people have gone through this training. This year, we will probably have 120 weeks of ITI scattered around the world in places like Kenya, Uganda, Zambia, Peru, Colombia, and Ecuador, to name just a few, Our national partners and leaders in Africa and Latin America are simply incredible followers of Christ with hearts of gold. At our first ITI in Kenya back in 2012, about 60 people participated from the various tribes. There are 42 distinct tribes in Kenya, and they don't always get along with each other. At this first ITI, there were a few sparks as attendees began to sit next to people from other tribes and realized that they had been traditionally at war with each other, fighting with each other. However, by the end of the week, they were beginning to understand and appreciate each other. After they finished all of this training, they uh, became best friends. There were four of them that came out of that group. We call them the Dream Team. And this Dream Team began to expand the ITI training throughout Kenya and even to other countries. It's been amazing to see them and the work that they're doing. There are 14 now in this Dream Team. Together, they have taken this training to Richard and Edward in South Sudan, as well as to Isaac and Joffrey and Francis in Zambia. In a very real way, we are seeing multiplication take place to the fourth generation. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 2, 2, where Paul says, the things you have heard from me, as he's writing Timothy, these entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also four generations. By this, I mean a group from here at Christ Community Church went to Kenya, helped train some of these dream team people. Those dream team people have now gone to Zambia. They've gone to uh, South Sudan and many other countries. They're working with Isaac and Francis and Joffrey in Zambia. Those three people are now working with other leaders in Zambia. In October, I get the wonderful opportunity, Lord willing, to be in Zambia and to see some of those fourth generation people who will soon be moving toward a fifth generation. And this story is taking place throughout Latin America as well, in places like Colombia and Ecuador and Peru and Venezuela. As pastor of Global Impact, I get to meet and interact with all of these people, I am so excited about what, is God, what God is doing throughout this church. Sometimes I just wonder in amazement at seeing how God is transforming the lives of people around the world. In fact, could we just take a moment and pray and thank God for what he is doing through your generos- generosity Generosity. To this church. And let me also say, if you have an interest in missions or the ITI or just want to meet and talk uh, about God's work in the world, I would love to meet with you and have a cup of coffee. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the work that you're doing around the world through our missionaries, through our national partners, through our ITI leaders and all of the training that's going on around the world. Even today, there's training going on. Father, pray. we pray for you to provide the needs, to provide for everything that these people need as they serve you. Give to them the resources they need. And now as we um, uh, turn our attention toward John chapter 5, Father, open our hearts, uh, open our eyes to see your word and to understand what it is you want to say to us today. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever felt stuck in your spiritual journey? I mean, where you went a long time, maybe even years, feeling like God didn't hear you or see you. Where the situation you were going through seemed helpless, endless, hopeless where change seemed impossible. When I look back over my life, I have experienced periods like this. Back in 1994, Corina and I hadn't even been married one year, and we went to Romania to work with the Christian ministry. While there there were lots of joys, and we did some really good things, I quickly discovered it was going to be a tough time. There were many factors contributing to a sense of frustration and bewilderment, being newlywed, trying to improve my Romanian, cultural adjustments. But probably the single greatest factor was a clash in my own heart between the duty and obligation to missions on the one hand versus a passionate heart-calling to follow God, to walk with God in a way that he had created me and gifted me. You see, back in high school, I had written down on a piece of paper my 40-year plans. One of my great desires was to go to seminary, study theology, go on for doctoral studies, and become a professor at a Christian college or seminary. I believe this dream or vision was from God. I felt it at the age of 17. While in college, however, I drifted from this heart calling to specifically commit myself to missions and the Great Commission. You're probably thinking, well, that was a really good idea. I mean, what is more important than giving yourselves to the work of the the Great Commission around the world? Yes and no. No missions is great. If that is where God has called you, just like being in any other profession is great. If that is where God has called you and made, and the way he has made you and the way he has gifted you, and he has given a heart passion to go in that direction. Fast forward a few years later, and I was in Romania. During the next 12 years in Romania, I had this nagging feeling that something was wrong. Something was out of sync. I wondered about that heart desire I had back in high school. Was that of God or not? Was I living from my heart according to the way God had made me? Or was I dutifully living out what I assumed was the right way because to be a missionary looks so spiritual? I really wanted to teach. So I found a small Bible college in Bucharest and began teaching there. The first class I taught was Greek and I had to teach it in Romanian. But I loved it. And I loved the connection with the students. Some of my happiest days were lived out at that little Bible college. But I didn't have a doctoral degree and I couldn't figure out how that would ever happen while living in another country. Plus, my teaching in this school didn't really fit Fit with the direction of what I was supposed to be doing with the mission organization I was affiliated with. Moving back and going to school didn't feel very practical because, well, really, who has that those kinds of finances? I prayed a lot to God and probably listened way too much to the opinions of other people. In reality, I was controlled more by... and by a sense of duty than by the Spirit of God. In the end, I suspect I just could not get up the courage to make a move and to change directions. This situation lasted for years, and the collateral damage of a person who is stuck in a situation like this is that my being out of sync affected my family especially my wife, because it impeded her own personal growth. What do we do when we are in this kind of a place, a place where we know we need a change, but we can't figure it out? We can't seem to make it happen. For the last two months now, we have been walking through the book of John. Today, we meet a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. This man keeps waiting for a change in his life, but it never seems to come until Jesus shows up. Once he meets Jesus, something amazing happens and the trajectory of his life is completely changed. Today, we are going to explore how Jesus brings true life when we are truly stuck in a difficult place. Let's begin looking at this story in John 5 one through six. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? After having healed the royal official's son way to the north up in Capernaum, Jesus has now traveled back to Jerusalem to participate in one of the Jewish festivals or holidays. We don't know which festival it was. It is during this time that John tells us Jesus goes to a pool called the Pool of Bethesda. Bethesda means the House of Mercy. And this pool was known as a place of healing. It was kind of like a hospital or a refugee camp for sick and desperate people. The NIV translation has a footnote for verse 4. It says, Some manuscripts include here holy or in part, Paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. The reason for it being in a footnote has to do with the Greek text of the New Testament. We do not have the original Greek manuscript of the New Testament. We do not have the very copy that John wrote. We do, however, have approximately 5,000 copies of manuscripts that come from the 2nd century all the way to the 15th century when Gutenberg invented the press, the printing press. Furthermore, these manuscripts come from different geographical places throughout the Mediterranean Sea area, like Rome, Constantinople, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. The earliest and best manuscripts of John do not include verse 4 in their text of John. This verse 4 appears only in the manuscripts of later centuries. The conclusion scholars make is that this verse was not in the original, in the original text of John, but what rather was added to explain why these people were at this pool. This should not cast doubt on the truthfulness of the Bible, but sometimes we have to read the footnotes. I think this pool was like a hot spring that occasionally appeared and bubbled over with, uh, with it, and, and bubbled over, and with it there was medicinal value. One thing I learned in Romania was how many people go to the hot springs to be healed of their arthritis and other ailments. Whether an angel actually appeared and brought healing is doubtful since verse 4 was probably added later to explain the purpose of the pool. Nevertheless, these sick people must have believed in a tradition that if they could just get into the water first, they would be healed of their disease. Well, laying on a mat near the pool was this man. We don't know his name. We never meet him again after this chapter. We, don't, we do know he hasn't walked in 38 years. That is a long time to be stuck on a mat. What were you doing 38 years ago? Were you even alive 38 years ago? I'm 58. 38 years ago, I was 20 and just finishing my second year at CSU. I cannot imagine being stuck in college for 38 years. But this man's life had not changed in a long time. I'm not sure if the 38 years correspond somehow to the 38 years the Israelites spent in two different geographical spots in their 40-year wandering around the wilderness, waiting to cross the Jordan River and enter finally into the promised land. But for the Jews, the desert was a difficult place, a place of complaint, a place that seemed hopeless. And that's where this man was, except he couldn't wander because he couldn't walk. And it is at this point we find the first step toward experiencing the true life that Jesus offers us. It is found in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? We need to know that Jesus sees us. And when he sees us, he asks us a probing question that touches our heart and reveals his deep love for us. I think it is amazing how in the middle of a multitude of people, he can see us. I mean, he sees you. Back in Romania, he saw me. His vision of us is specific, personal, and intimate. And not only does he see us, but he takes the time to discover our situation. He knows our predicament. He knows that we have been occupying this space for a really long time. How would that make you feel if Jesus showed up to breathe life into your body and soul? Now, I mentioned the question Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? It's sort of a strange question, don't you think? Do you want to get well? Some people have said Jesus' question was kind of harsh, were offensive. They assume that of course the man wanted to get well. The problem is that makes Jesus look rather heartless. And in the previous four chapters of this book, he has asked some really heartfelt, compassionate, probing questions. Something else must be going on here. What does this question uncover about the man, and his heart as he is stuck in this condition. I suspect this man was growing hopeless at his situation. In the passage, there are signs of him growing complacent and even passive about his situation. He felt there was no escape and that he was the victim of a cruel turn of events. True life was now impossible for him. His original identity was gone. His current identity was that of a tired man who had given up on life and grown hopeless at real change. Sound familiar? Sounds really scary. Let's look at some of the details of this man's place in life. I noticed that when Jesus asks him if he wants to get well, he offers an excuse why it's not possible rather than unequivocally saying, yes, I want to be made well. His response instead is, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. If we jump down to the passage a little bit to verses 10 through 14, we discover some more things about this man's heart. That I believe prompted the question from Jesus. We will come back to verses eight through nine in a few minutes. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. After he has been healed, he runs into the religious leaders and they tell him the law forbids you from carrying your mat. His response is to avoid a confrontation. So he blames Jesus for telling him to carry his mat on the Sabbath, all the while not even telling them, I was lame for 38 years, but look at me now, I'm walking. His transformation was eclipsed by his confrontation with the religious leaders. In the next verse, we discover he doesn't know the name of the man who healed him. What strikes me, though, is that he hasn't even tried to figure out this man's name. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. This shows me the man lacks initiative. He is rather passive. Finally, verses 14 and 15 later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Here, when he discovers it's Jesus who healed him, he immediately goes to the religious leaders and tells them who it was. He is not sharing with them the love of Christ. It seems to me he is choosing the side of the religious leaders rather than choosing to follow Jesus, to start his new life walking with Jesus. He takes the easy road and avoids the confrontation. Finally, let's go back to the compassionate, probing question Jesus asks in verse 6, do you want to get well? Think for a moment about what that would mean for him. To be well is to be different. And to be different means you now have to be responsible for your life. You get to work again. You get the possibility to love again, to stay sober, to stay and you fill in the blank. Let me summarize what I see coming out of this man's heart when Jesus asks him that probing question he offers an excuse he avoids a difficulty he neglects his own transformation he appears passive he remains legalistic he chooses religion over jesus he avoids responsibility when i consider these summary ideas i think about where i was for a time in romania but please hear me i love romania i have no ill will toward romania our family just had a wonderful time back in romania But it was a time in my life, and in that time of being stuck, I think I was offering excuses, avoiding making difficult decisions. I was kind of passive and lived more from the duty of a particular kind of ministry rather than living from my heart. I avoided responsibility. I was like the man by the pool, even though I could walk around the pool. Where are you? Sometimes we get stuck and sort of trust in some healing waters, not realizing that the real problem is negativity or hardness of heart or a root of bitterness. The question Jesus asks us goes to the heart of the matter. Do we really want to get unstuck? Do we really want to enter back into the normal pattern of life, to work again, to love again, to stay sober, to be free from the sin or the sins that plague us to live beyond the shame that veils our true identity? Or do we want to stay comfortable on the mat? Like the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness, unable to cross over into the promised land. Or better, like the people of Colorado, do we just keep driving up and down I-25, ignoring the mountains to the west? How many of us just stay focused on Highway 34 between here and Centera, never venturing farther west into the beautiful Colorado Rockies? I believe this is the sense of the question Jesus is asking us, but we have a choice in the matter. In essence, the external paralysis of this man seems to have suffocated his heart We may not be suffering a physical malady, but there is a good chance someone here is feeling stuck in one way or another. The passage implies the internal suffering is just as much a part of the story as the external paralysis. What do we do? What did I do? How does Jesus lift us out of this difficult place? Thankfully, God sees us and helps us search our own hearts with his probing and yet loving questions. We all need to know Jesus really cares about us. He loves us. His heart reflects the good heart of the eternal God. Today, if you feel stuck, let Jesus come to you and speak to you. He already knows what is in your heart anyway. This brings me back to verses 8 and 9. And verse 14, where we see another step in Jesus' transformational word to us. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well. You are well again. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. In these three verses, we begin to see the kind of response we need if we are to experience the true life God has for us. Jesus brings healing and calls us to a life of faith. Let's look at how this plays out in these three verses. The first thing I notice is that Jesus heals this man by his beautiful grace. This man has not expressed any faith in Jesus. He hasn't pursued Jesus. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. Nevertheless, Jesus just simply heals this man. What amazing grace. What a heart of gold. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Don't miss the beauty in this healing. We learned that the woman at the well in John 4 met Jesus and received his offer of life-giving water. In a different way, this man, with no merit of his own, experiences healing in front of a pool, not even realizing that the man in front of him is the source of life-giving water. In the statement, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Notice that there are two commands. Get up, pick up your mat. And there is a third command that is repetitive. It's constant. It's in the present tense. Walk, walk. The action here reminds me that our Christian lives are marked by a life of faith. True life is found when we abide in Christ. Christ, when we walk with God, when we allow the Spirit of God to fill us and produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. Just think of all the heroes of faith in the Bible who walked with God Enoch, Abraham, Moses, the disciples who walked daily with Jesus. Paul regularly uses the metaphor of walking by faith. Many of our modern authors, like Tolkien, express the same idea. Frodo, building on the words of his uncle Bilbo, said this as he left the Shire. And by the way, in the movie version, Gandalf is singing this poem as he rides into the Shire with a wagon full of fireworks. And can I just add a fatherly or motherly word of advice? Please be careful with your fireworks this weekend. Frodo said, the road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road is gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with weary feet until it meets some larger way where many paths and errands meet. And whither then, I cannot say the step of faith. In 2016, my son graduated from high school, and that summer he said to me, Dad, Every day, wherever we drive in Greeley, we see Long's Peak, but we have never climbed it. Don't you think we should go climb it? I didn't have a good reason to stay in Greeley, driving back and forth on Highway 34, up and down Highway 85, so the summer of 2016, Matt and I, along with an experienced hiker friend, climbed Long's Peak. We picked up Brent from the Walmart parking lot in Longmont at about 1 a.m., We started hiking by 2 a.m. with headlamps on. After about an hour into the hike, the stars began to flash across the sky. It was a glorious sight. There was no light pollution. As we got higher up the mountain and out of the trees, I remember looking back and seeing headlamps behind us snaking their way up the mountain. As the sun rose, the colors captured our imaginations, and we began to see all of these high alpine flowers. Amazing. Eventually, we made it to the summit. After seeing it for years from Greeley, stuck in Greeley, we finally saw it up close and personal, and we experienced the challenge and the joy of summiting one of Colorado's 58-14ers. It was an amazing experience. Our hike up Long's Peak took me from a distant vision to an up-close, inside, personal view, to an exhilarating, exhausting, and deeply personal experience of a mountain. Rather than simply driving up and down I-25 or back and forth on Highway 34 and seeing Long's Peak from a distance, I had now hiked it. I had experienced that mountain. And as you and I learn to walk by faith in Jesus, we begin to experience him in a new and in a different way. Since then, hiking 14ers has kind of become a passion of mine. I've actually hiked 40 now of the 58. Last year, I took my daughter Julia up Long's Peak Last week, she and I hiked the Mount of the Holy Cross. On a 14er, you discover how thin the air really is. And I can't even imagine how thin it is on the top of Everest, which is 29,000 feet. The thin air represents, for me, the place of adventure. And in reality, the place of adventure is the place of faith. For me, the thin air is the place that God inhabits. Abraham went up on a mountain with Isaac and he heard the word of the Lord. Moses went up on a mountain to receive the 10 Commandments and he heard the word of the Lord. Elijah went up on a mountain and he heard the word of the Lord. Peter, James, and John hiked up a mountain with Jesus and then saw him transfigured and heard the word of God. How does this book begin? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Think for a moment about the opposite of the mountain peak. It is the valley, the farmland, the place where things are domesticated. It is up and down I-25. It's staying in Greeley. It's not wild. It's not adventurous. It is not the place of faith. In the thin air, we learn to trust in God. In the domestic place, we trust our eyes. We trust the work of our hands. This man, by the pool, was growing weaker and weaker, and his heart was growing smaller and smaller, perhaps bitter and hard. But Jesus saw him and Jesus questioned him and Jesus transferred him out of a comfort zone and into a life of walking with him. Talk about a flying carpet. I don't know what the place of faith looks like for you. When I talk about hiking 14ers, that is simply a metaphor for me. But God calls us to the place of faith. And it's different for every one of us. God calls us to trust him. God calls us out of one kingdom and into his kingdom space, which is that place where he reigns and we live as beloved sons and daughters, embracing our new, our real identity. Walking with God is not a one-time event, but it is a lifetime pursuit. It is present tense it means to keep on walking in verse 14 jesus again finds this man this time he finds him walking around in the temple complex something he has not done in 38 years here jesus says to him see you are well again stop sinning or something worse may happen to you what do we learn from these words to be honest This is a difficult passage for me, especially as I think about this sermon and how it relates uh, to this message. It seems Jesus is affirming that at least some sin contributes to being unwell, but not all sin does because we will discover in a few weeks the blindness of the man in John 9 was not linked to any sin. Jesus is God in the flesh and he knew what was going on with the man. So we have to be very careful not to make a strong link between a specific sin and sickness. The reality is we live in a fallen world and that means there is no guarantee to perfect health. Others seem to think that Jesus is now talking about eternal judgment. The only thing worse, they say, than 38 years of paralysis would be an eternity separated from God. And in this respect, later in John 5, Jesus does talk about a final judgment. But if ceasing to sin is the key to not experiencing eternal judgment, then it seems we are back to a works-focused salvation. And while both of these ideas could be in this passage, I think there is something else that fits better and simpler. Walking with Jesus also entails surrendering our lives and our sin to him. Of course, we should always stop sinning. But this does not happen just by muscling up more willpower. Jesus' words imply there is some willful persistence in sin. And that kind of sin minimizes the grace and the love of God. The true life we experience in walking with Jesus includes freedom from the control of sin. We need to invite him into our sin and allow him to change us. I think most of the sin Jesus must have in his mind is the sin we have already seen in the heart of this man. Instead of taking some responsibility for life, he offers excuses. He buries the fact that he has been healed when the religious leaders question him. He is passive and legalistic. And instead of following Jesus, he follows the religious leaders. Jesus has healed this man. Now he is free to explore the world like he had never has done before and yet in his exploration he has not pursued the identity of the one who healed him on the flip side Jesus finds him this is very curious to me why has this man not searched out Jesus has he not embraced a life of faith John as the author and you and I as the readers know the identity of the one who healed him. We have followed his identity in the first four chapters, and we know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one in whom we have true life. After John has laid out clearly the identity of Jesus, here now in chapter 5, he begins to show that there is an ongoing struggle, a conflict, a battle between two ways of pursuing God. On the one hand, there is the way of Jesus. In this way, we truly get to know him. Here we walk with him as a Christ follower. And in our walking with him, he helps free us from the grip of sin in our lives. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But on the other hand, there is the way of religion, the way of the law, the way of legalism. This may be the sin Jesus is warning the man about. If the pool represents some form of mystical healing, the focus on the Sabbath represents a fundamental misunderstanding of the law. In both cases, they minimize Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And while embracing religion, they allow sin to grip them all the more. Appearing to be religious, their hearts remain unchanged. An exaggerated commitment to the Sabbath clearly depicts the way of religion. It intrigues me how the Jewish leaders allow the action on one day to negate a healing that has been 38 years in the making. Imagine having a neighbor who has been unable to walk for 38 years. Early one Sunday morning, like at 6 a.m., you are awakened by the roar of the lawnmower. Your wife says to you, what is going on? You roll out of bed, put on some sweats, trip over your dog, and you go down to the front door. You throw open the front door, and you see this man mowing the lawn. Bugged as you are, you yell at him, what's gotten into you to mow the lawn on a Sunday morning at 6 a.m.? Don't you know there's a city code against this? Shouldn't you be running out to him to hug him? And to rejoice with him? Of course, you are the one that is out of your mind. Your neighbor hasn't walked in 38 years, let alone mowed the lawn. But this is the way of religion. The key to holiness is seeing Jesus up close and personal. It's found in pursuing him and then humbly following him and honestly inviting him into your life. This is the gospel jesus sees me and jesus sees you he approaches us and questions us because he does not want us lying on this mat the rest of our lives he wants us to experience true life as we walk in fellowship with him and lived gripped by his beauty and by his glory when i look at this man i see myself 20 some years ago in romania what changed Well, I cannot say that things changed really fast. There wasn't an instant healing and a brand new way of living. In 2006, we did move back to Colorado. But there was a growing awareness that Jesus really loved me as I am. My identity in him was secure. He saw me and he loved me. And in his vision of me, he approached me up close and personal. There was also a personal growth in self-awareness. I realized the sins of this man were the same kind of sins I was struggling with. I realized I needed to take more responsibility for my life. I couldn't offer excuses. I needed to quit living under the fear of what other people might say or think. I needed to be aware of how legalism led me away from Jesus rather than to Jesus. Simultaneously, I was reminded that Jesus calls me to walk by faith, to follow him. And this is a lifetime practice. It's not mastered instantly. We don't ever get perfect on this side of eternity. I suppose my weaknesses back then still follow me even today. I'm not a professor in a Christian college, but I do get to lead a strategic ministry training pastors and leaders around the world, for which I am very thankful I get to call some of the choicest servants of the kingdom of God friend. God is still working in my life and he is working in your life also. As we bow our heads, I want to lead us in a response to the words of Jesus found in this passage. Let's pray. As we bow our heads, I want to um, remind you that Jesus, God in the flesh, all-knowing and all-loving, sees you. Jesus sees you where you are. And more than that, he wants to show up in your life. When he shows up, he asks a very important question. Where in your life do you feel stuck? Father, help us to see that place where we feel stuck. Show up and point it out to us. Another question, what would it look like to invite Jesus into that place? So just take a moment as you think about where you might be stuck. Invite Jesus into that place. Listen to the question he asks you. Listen to the words of Jesus to get up pick up your mat and to walk, a life of walking by faith in him. And finally, ask this question, where is Jesus calling you to walk by faith? Where is he calling you to walk by faith? Father, help us learn better to trust you and to walk by faith in you. Open our eyes to see more clearly our own situation, to judge it more realistically, and to take steps to trust you, to follow you, to walk with you, remembering that our identity is secure in you, remembering that you love us as we are, and you love us so much that you want to continue to grow us in our faith in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
2: Hello, everyone. It's time for us to talk about the teaching today. And I'm going to open up here. I'm, I'm trying to, um, so as far as how this this happened, and um, something I hadn't heard before, I haven't paid attention to before, had been how how this guy had been by the pool and Jesus comes to him. He speaks to him. I assumed that he hung out until he was healed and kind of saw it all happen and yada, yada. But that did not happen. In fact, it potentially took time, a big enough time that Jesus hadn't been present to see the healing of this guy. (laughs) I, I'm, I'm bringing yes. this up because this really bothers me. <laughs> because of how I've always seen this story play out. That's okay. true. It's there was time that it took this guy to get up and get going. A big enough quantity of time that Jesus hadn't been there anymore. And he'd slipped away. And he was. Or he else. just kept going. Yeah, we know. Or, or want, it yeah. could have just been this in passing. Get up, and, and, and then he just continued on and kept teaching. And, uh uh-huh. And so did this guy all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to try it. To the point yeah. that sometime <laughs> in the time to come, they bump into each other. That, 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 like, baffles me.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. That, like, in the time to come, they bump into each other. He's like, see, I told you so. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, that's a good twist on it. Um, You're even uh, lifting up something for me that maybe uh, I wasn't thinking so much of the time frame, how it all played out.
0: It does Uh, say at once he was cured, but it does say, you know, later they connected. So it's not like at the moment there was a follow-up that we are talking about.
2: Because it's very similar to the passage before. Uh Because the the, uh, the son of the... Real, official had yeah. been healed at the same time that Jesus spoke it, but people didn't see it. It hadn't been affirmed. Right.
1: I mean, I mean, like and that official. Yeah. By the time he got home, forty-eight hours later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. I, that's interesting thought coming up. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of like sat in that that
2: Jesus like didn't have to be there, no, or he didn't he. Didn't pro. I mean, like, so the passages b- before before this passage had been so people saw and they believed, right? right? Right. Here, the guy didn't even
1: have a clue who Jesus had been. Which, to me, is the more interesting thing because it elevates the grace of Jesus to to come to this man who's not looking, not waiting, not hoping, not expecting Jesus. Doesn't know who Jesus is. Uh the royal official travels forty eight hours because he knows about Jesus. Yep. And this guy doesn't know anything about Jesus. Yep. That to me is like John has put these together because there's something for us to learn. Yeah. About absolutely. the grace of God. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. That's just incredible. It is. It is a really great story. So yeah.
0: I'm trying to find uh where I made this connection to from the from the waiting. Oh gosh, sorry.
1: Who's waiting?
0: R- well, so cuz KJ talked about the 48 hours right. waiting. Uh you're talking about the faith to keep going. It, I think there's there's definitely some connection here into this this walking. Oh, it was when you're connecting this to the Thirty-eight years in the desert, right. and it's this place in between the promise and the fulfillment. Right.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: And this place in between, I think the the two stories speak of the place in between. Yeah. Well, that, one that's story huge. is in
1: Capernaum, and the other one's back in Jerusalem, and there's a lot of space between the two. And, and Jesus that, had yeah. to walk that whole space to get back to Jerusalem. And like he did that on purpose,
2: right? Yeah. John says that specific age on purpose yes do, do you believe right. it, yeah, it like, wouldn't yes.
0: be random that it was 38
2: right because he doesn't say how old the boy is it doesn't say how old the blind g- g- guy is he doesn't say how old anyone else is in his g- gospel That's except right. this specific person who is in the temple or like in the holy city across from do you know what i'm saying yeah, like he's and he's the by River. a pool yeah Come yes. on, thirty-eight it's years. Pro- so yeah. it's
0: like the crossing into the yes. promise. Yeah, mm.
2: and, and th- just and he's th- coming back. He's coming back to the holy city where he's already been. Like, right. th- there's a ton in there, and I'm right. so glad you so brought that up.
1: there's um in in Deuteronomy, just so people maybe don't get a little confused, because we always think about the wandering in the wilderness is forty uh-huh. years, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but yep. in Deuteronomy too, it does say between Kadesh Barnea and this creek. Um, they were there for 38 years. Uh So it's not like, well, was it 38 or was it 40? Well, it's both. It was 48 years, the whole totality, but But between this spot and that spot, it was 38 years.
0: 40 in totality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: just to kind of
2: like
0: That's a little clarify a, a, bit. Bit. It's a bit of confusion. To everyone at
2: home who's like pulling out their
1: hair saying hair check. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, is it 40 or not? But yeah. 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 So I think yeah. 38 years, that is so long though.
0: And That's talk about being stuck time. in the desert, both stories, the parallels there. Right, right. And the stepping in faith and so many good quotes you said that mm. I wrote down. The, the thin air is the place of...
1: Yeah, that's just kind of a metaphor for me because it's something I have... The place of adventure is in the place of faith. The place of faith. And I think everybody else is going to have a different place of faith, whether your place of faith is, you know, um, uh, enrolling at Ames Community College and going to school because you finally realize you need to do that, or your place of faith is... Is talking to someone uh, about the the gospel mm-hmm. or your place of faith is moving from here to there. We all have to make decisions about what we're going to do and how Jesus is leading us. So Stepping. I just use that as a yeah. metaphor for me because it takes my eyes off of the ground and it puts my eyes somewhere else. All right, that's what I'm at. So
2: going off of that, um, I'm I'm very curious about the question that Jesus asks Uh in contrast to someone who's feeling stuck, okay? And and going back to the different characteristics of someone who is possibly feeling stuck, right? Right. So so the question that Jesus asks, assuming that those different characteristics characteristics applied to the paralyzed guy. Yeah. Tell me the point of, of asking that question. Because there's a ton there. It's very potent.
1: Right, right. So I think the question, do you want to get well, is to penetrate the man's own heart. He's got a, you know, very potentially a hard heart, a bitter heart, and something has got to crack into that. And the question goes to his heart and begins to open his heart so that he will finally recognize that there's more in his life than simply getting his legs under him again. That there's, there's real life that can be lived mm-hmm. even in that paralysis. Yeah. So I think I think the question is soft enough and yet penetrating enough to yeah. get into the man's heart and to help him see that there's something else he really needs.
2: Yeah. All right, so go I, back to the time that yeah. you had been yeah. back in Romania. Romania. Yeah. Picture Jesus a-
0: a- hmm.
2: a- a- asking you, "Do you want to get well?" Hmm. Yeah. Tell me the thing he's speaking to.
1: What I think for me is it's a um, it's a sense of. I'm here with you. I love you. I want to help you step forward in a new direction. Will you come with me? Mm, That's Mm. good. Um, Will you walk with me? I want to take you here, but Mm -hmm. you're hesitating. You're not wanting to walk with me. So will you come with me? And I think that's the question Jesus wants to like clarify for me. It's like, do I really want to walk with Jesus, or do I want to just stay where I am, whatever that looks like? Maybe it looks great to the world, but maybe it's not really where Jesus wants me to be. So that's the question, I think, is, will I follow Jesus? Mm -hmm.
2: Because it's so comfortable to be in the same spot, although that you hate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think there's any poetry there at all that John on purpose picks this guy to prove a point mm. that's is, where i go uh-huh. like it's like uh-huh. man it isn't about the paralyzed guy at all <laughs> is this all about the place people are in in the holy city
0: uh-huh getting out of the familiar yeah
2: yeah, yeah that's I true i don't know too. that's so fun yeah it, it, is it totally
0: taps that. into the reality of changing what we know this is all that he had ever known and getting out of the familiar place or comfortable place even though it was a
2: place of pain yeah i mean i think there's a ton of people out there who are tired of being in spots that they're in but don't have a desire to go anywhere and so to have jesus say do you actually have a desire to be whole yeah because it kind of seems that you probably don't (laughs) yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean, like that yeah. type of thing. Like that's, it seems that on the outside, I don't see it.
0: That's yeah. huge. That's a huge question. I think right, all of us yeah. wrestle with that in different
2: areas. Amen, sister.
1: Right. Yeah. And to to suddenly change means to adopt a, a new identity or to be seen in a new way. It or takes to, courage. It takes courage. It takes wow. I mean, thirty-eight years paralyzed. He's. He probably doesn't have a wife, and now walking, he could get married. I mean, it's like changes his whole <laughs> world. I mean, that's the first practical. thing you think about. I think about he can go
2: to the bathroom Please, by himself. Soccer. Bathroom by himself. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, man, he can finally go to the bathroom. Take a yeah. shower. He doesn't have to have people like seeing him go to the bathroom.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> well, all of these things. I mean, we can really play <laughs> with it. But They're yeah. all true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love he, it. I
1: think yeah. It's neat. So yeah, he's 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 radically changed, and. I think it's interesting when he meets those leaders, Yeah, he forgets, or he neglects, mm-hmm. or he simply eliminates the reality of his new situation, and he says, oh, it was that guy who told me to carry this thing. It's like he's, he's, he's sliding back, or maybe never got out of this, this legalism, yeah. mm-hmm. and he's walking why doesn't he right. say, "Look at me, guys!
0: I'm walking." I love what he said that his transformation was eclipsed by the religious confrontation.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah! Oh
0: my gosh! And I think you know this taps again into the mm-hmm. reality that it's it wasn't just a physical and external problem, but an internal as well. Mm-hmm. There were there were two areas, and it's so easy to isolate just the one and miss the mm-hmm. other. Yeah, the
1: internal but think about the thing
2: that inspired it. Like he's a f- afraid
1: there is fear yeah yeah, of course
2: and because of how it had been has kept him in that spot yeah and then he's healed and he's afraid to go further like yeah i mean there's like a lot there and then i'm i'm kind of picturing him carrying his mat at the right temple right like Yeah, yeah there he is at the temple carrying the mat he bumps into jesus again I kind of was p- picturing Jesus p- pointing at his m- mat and saying, So don't spin anymore <laughs> because he shouldn't be having his mat. <laughs> you should have put Why that down. are you down. still carrying it yeah, around. It yeah. It. it should be back oh, at home, oh, your oh, home. And because you sleep- that will put you right back in the place you had been. Oh, Stop boy. it. Yeah, good point. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Just fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it about. is. Carrying it's that so interesting. yeah interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Drop your mat, Dudley drop it of course that's what we're all trying to do is drop our
1: mats yeah
2: Yeah. man great job i I was just i'm i'm so pumped about this content i have not heard a ton i mean it's that idea of so so i've heard it yeah but hearing it taught it gave me this whole like oh wow i didn't see that i didn't see that either i didn't see that either wow that was the whole point Mm -hmm. i didn't Mm -hmm. see that
1: yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think it's important for us to also to remember that that this walking is a process. Mm-hmm. And even this man doesn't show a lot of faith in Jesus or any faith in Jesus. There's there and we are in that place. It's not like I'm healed physically. Now I'm you yeah. know, I'm perfectly walking with Jesus. No, mm-hmm. it's a process and it's we come back to those same things and we constantly need to ask ourselves, okay, what do I need to change? How can I walk with you more faithfully, more closely? So it's the process of walking by faith in Jesus. So. Yeah. That's really good, man. Yeah. That's good. Well, thank you, Dudley.
2: Yeah, thank
0: you, and KJ, thank you for joining us. This is so fun. Yes. All right. We so hope you look it. Look so good.
2: thank you for joining us and have a great day.